0: Morning, everybody. Morning. You guys doing all right? It's a beautiful day. It's 100 degrees in Southern California in February. <laughs> so, so we have these orange trees in our backyard, and we're really excited about the oranges that are coming. And the oranges this year aren't just, they're not that sweet. And we bought this home from my mom. And I hope she's not watching right now. But she came and got a bag of oranges. And um, she went home and she texts us. And she's like, these oranges aren't as sweet as when we had them. <laughs> like, what did you do? I'm like, what do you mean, what did I do? First of all, I'm not a botanist. I just like oranges. There's a bunch of orange trees in the backyard. Second of all, I don't think trees right now, fruit trees in particular, can understand what's happening in the world. Because it's 100 degrees, and they're like, oh, I guess we're done. 100 degrees, and they're like, oh, I guess we're done. We don't have to do whatever we do to get sweet. I clearly know nothing about oranges. But um anyway, I thought it was weird that my mom texted me that. Like, not as sweet as they used to. Like, we destroyed the oranges. I think it's the weather. Anyway, welcome. Thanks for being here. I'm excited. It's a weird way to start a sermon. Um, So we're in the series called Witness, as you know. We're in week six, a couple more weeks. And um, we're really going to talk about, in the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about our personal witness. But so far, we've been talking about, like, our community witness, what we witness to as a community. We've been talking about the witness of history. We talked about that last night when we, when we took, or last week when we took on Simon of Cyrene. And we've talked about, you know, the, the witness of women that are sometimes not heard from in the way that they should be and honored in the way that they should be. And um, all, all these, these have been, been kind of included so far in this series. And today we're going to continue talking about people of color, specifically as they show up in scripture. And we're going to be talking about an Ethiopian. Witness Now, if you've been following along on the series guide, which I, I encourage you all to do, we still have them in the back, even though we're getting close to the end of this series, and you can download them online. There's a ton of information that we've given you in that. That's kind of where all the scholarship happens, so I don't have to stand up here and do that. However, there's some things that you should know and some things that are worth Mentioning Ancient Ethiopia, first of all, is not modern Ethiopia. It was a different place. It was further north amongst the cataracts of the Nile, between the second and sixth cataracts of the Nile, or kind of waterfalls, the rapids, I would suppose we would say. Um, we know that it was a kind of a matriarchal society that was ruled over by the queens that were called the Candaces, Right, so if they were a queen, they would take on that position, that title, that role of Candace. And Ethiopia sometimes shows up as Abyssinia. So if you see that name Abyssinia, you know we're talking about the same thing. But there's some fascinating facts that are important for us to know that relate, I think, directly to this story. The first one is Abyssinia accepted Christianity before Constantine did. If you know your history, you know that it was all the way in the third century when Constantine kind of accepted Christianity, and that became the legal religion in Rome. But Abyssinia or Ethiopia had accepted Christianity like a hundred years before, so like in the second century AD. That's really incredible. That means this is a really, really old Christian tradition, and in his book, The Lost History of Christianity, that you know I've been referencing quite a bit, Philip Jenkins is actually quoting from an older author who says this No country in the world is so full of churches, monasteries, and ecclesiastics as Abyssinia. It is not possible to sing in one church without being heard by another and perhaps several. Now, remember, this is before amplification. They were not doing church like us. Like, the other churches can hear our church, but it's because we're very loud. <laughs> right? Those churches, they were just that close. It continues on. The, this people was, has a natural disposition to goodness. They are very liberal with their alms, so they gave charity. They much frequent their churches and are very studious to adorn them. They practice fasting and other mortifications. Continuing on, they retain in a great measure the devout fervor of primitive Christians. This was written in the 1700s by a writer from the counter-reformation, Portugal. Right? It lasted until the 1600s until the Muslim eradication of the Ethiopian Christianity. Not complete eradication, because there's still Ethiopian Christianity, but it was pretty significant. In fact, one modern historian of African Christianity has aptly termed what happened there a systematic campaign of cultural and national genocide. Ethiopia barely survived this crisis, scraping through with Portuguese assistance, interestingly enough, Although Christianity survived, it did so in a vastly impoverished form. But we have an ancient tradition of Christianity that was vital to African Christianity, and interestingly enough, and we'll learn about it later a little bit, it actually had an impact on Islam as well. This is a pretty f- fantastic story, if you ask me, of, the, of the, the loyalty and the devoutness of the Ethiopian church. It's, I think it's phenomenal. And we see Ethiopians show up in Scripture. Right? We see them show up in Scripture. In fact, we find about 20 references in 10 different books of Scripture about Ethiopians. Acts is the only book in the New Testament that mentions it. It mentions it in the eighth chapter, which is what we're going to study today. And of course, the most famous is the Candace Sheba who showed up in Solomon's time right? And so we, we know that these are countries that had, um, that had relationships, that diplomatic relationships, apparently a little bit more when it comes to Solomon and Sheba than just diplomatic. Um, but so, so, wow, that's pretty incredible. We don't hear a lot about the Ethiopian church. In fact, today, um, if you go, if you go, on the Via Dolorosa, which by the way, I was saying wrong yesterday. And for you who speak Spanish, you knew that I was not saying the right thing. And Isai told me that. I was saying Dolorosa, which is different. And I don't really know what that means, but it's a Dolorosa, the way of the cross at the top of it. Thank you. (laughs) She's like about time. (laughs) I should not just not try. Um, at the top there is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and um, which is where we think Golgotha probably was. And it's a massive church, and there's all these different chapels to all these different Christian traditions—Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox—it um, th- goes on and on. But as you go through, and you're kind of walking through, you go outside actually, go on this little walkway, and then you come into this little tiny chapel that is really run down and really poor. Most of these chapels have gold and incense, and it's incredible. You walk into this one and it's bare but it's the little Ethiopian Christian chapel and there's two or three priests that are there and they um they clearly live there and you can give it every single one of the chapels if you want to but that's the place that I've always given to because when you see it you're like man that's an impoverished church but it's a church that still is ancient and still so strongly believes But why don't we go to the Acts of the Apostle at this point? As you know, I read from the New Living Translation, if your translation is a little bit different than mine. But we're going to talk about the witness we see from the interaction that Philip has with the Ethiopian. Now, there's two things we're going to learn here. We're going to learn what it means to be curious towards conversion, and we're also going to learn what it means to be a guide and kind of sherpa someone along the way, because we see both of these things happening within this story. And I actually believe that at times we are called to be the curious towards conversion, and at times we are called to be those guides that other people need. And so we're going to see this in the story. Um, You may have read it before, you may not. The next chapter, we see the conversion of Saul to Paul. That gets all the press. But this story is important. In fact, the the length of this story is just a little bit shorter than the conversion of Saul. And so it's in this scripture for an important reason. It says, as for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, reading from verse 26, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So as you know, as you, you move further south, Um, You're going up the Nile, which is always a little bit confusing. You're going down. I I think I may have told you this before, but I uh, I did a seven-day cruise with a bunch of English pastors on the Nile. Seven days on the Nile is five days too long. Um, (laughs) LAUGHTER it's, I mean, it was cool, but it was a long, it was a lot. Um, we get down to, we get down south, so we go up the Nile. We get down south, and um, we get to Aswan, the dam, and we get out, and we get on a bus, and we go down to Abu Simbel, which is a, a bit further south again, and it's just desert. That's all it is. And one of the guys in the bus just really had to use the restroom, and there's nothing. I mean, it's just sand dunes. There's nothing around. And so finally the bus driver's like, okay, I guess I'll stop. He stops. This guy goes running out over a sand dune to do whatever he needed to do. And about 30 seconds later, he comes running back like, and running. And we're like, what's going on? All of a sudden, these people came out of the desert, just kind of appeared out of nowhere. I didn't they walked over the sand dunes but it felt like they were appearing out of nowhere cuz it's like a moonscape and they just sort of appear and and they're the most beautiful beautiful people tall, thin, beautifully black and they called themselves Nubians. But this is the kind of person that we're talking about this Ethiopian and I mean, it was, and we had a lot of fun with them. We got to talk to them a little bit. Some of them spoke a little bit English. They sold us some stuff on the side of the road, literally in the middle of nowhere. I have no idea where they lived. Um, but it, it felt weird. It felt like they were just hiding behind those sand dunes for us. They're like, this is the place. Everybody, apparently that sand dune looked like a bathroom or something. I don't know. Anyway, it was, it was, a, really, it was a really great interaction. Um, that's what I have in my head when I read this story because, you know, the Arab influence in the Middle East came 600 to 1100 AD. So it, this was much earlier than that. But one of the things we learn here about Philip is that this whole interaction that we're about to read happened because Philip was available and obedient to the Holy Spirit. Without his willingness to help and listen carefully, his, th- this whole thing wouldn't have happened So we got to ask ourselves a question as we start this story. How willing are you to be available to the Holy Spirit? What stories are going to last of you and your willingness to follow where God is leading? And we should probably ask ourselves this other question, which I won't get into, but how do you hear the Holy Spirit working in your life? How do you know that God is saying, hey, I need you to go down south to the road between Jerusalem and Gaza? How do we hear that in our lives? And have we surrounded ourselves with so much noise that we just can't hear that anymore? Or do we find times to push away the sound and the noise that we live with all the time so that we can hear the Holy Spirit work? I love that Philip listened because that's why this man was converted. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Now, we need to talk about this guy in particular for a moment. So eunuch or eunuch? I wrote that for a reason, so stick with me. Um, Do we all know what a eunuch is? If you don't ask the person next to you. And I'll wait for them to explain it. That would be a weird conversation in church. Google it later. Um, So so here's the thing. Eunuchs... (laughs) Um, By and large, they they worked in in the royal courts. They often worked with the wives of kings, right? Because they, you know, could be trusted. Um, We'll say it that way. (laughs) This is where it gets uncomfortable. However, they became so trusted, they became so trusted that that title, eunuch, began to be used for a position of great trust within a royal court. So sometimes they were eunuchs, and sometimes they were eunuchs. I don't know what the position I should be standing in. I don't know. Um, This got way weirder than 9 a.m., just so you know. They just looked at me like, nah, we don't know what those are. Um, So so anyway, it it could be a title, it could be a physical manifestation of that. So anyway, having been said, because this text used the title treasurer of Ethiopia, we think that it's not just being used as a title, but it actually means that physical malformation at that point. So a um, so, couple things you also need to know. This was very possibly an Ethiopian Jew. Why? Uh, Queen sheba right? The Candace from before in Solomon. She would have brought Judaism back. So probably... A Jewish Ethiopian. Now here's what's interesting. I woke up really early this morning. Um, I drank coffee too late last night so I woke up and I someone had sent me a dissertation about this and so I, I pulled it out and I was reading it on my phone which by the way dissertations are not all that much fun to read and reading them on a phone is horrible. But I'm reading it and it happens to be about this verse, these texts, and it happens to be about the Ethiopian. And And what this dissertation did in about 160 pages, I I skimmed some and read some, um, it basically traced how through the Western church, we kind of marginalized the idea that the Ethiopian was Jewish, that there could have been an Ethiopian Jew, and then sort of marginalized that it would have been a person of color. It was really interesting, um, and, and not a lot has been written about this text. In fact, some scholars say, "Well, it was probably put in a little later." I don't think so. I think this is put into the Lucan account for an important reason. And and what's interesting is that it kind of goes from being an Ethiopian to being someone just kind of generally Middle Eastern, and then sort of being, um, sort of not even being Jewish, just being pagan, but kind of interested in Judaism. I, don't, I think it makes more sense that this was an Ethiopian Jew who came to worship in the temple. But you have to remember something. Had, his, had he been a eunuch, a physical eunuch, the Ethiopian would not have been able to worship in the temple. He would have gone that far but not been able to get in. You know that all the healing stories of Scripture happen outside the gates, not inside the gates of the temple. Because... If you are not whole, you are not welcome. So this is a man who's got this curiosity, and he's really interested. And and he, in fact, it says now he's returning from being up there, seated in his carriage. He's reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. So it's common practice to read scripture aloud, especially when it's in a language that you don't necessarily know to help you understand it. But he, he did not have somebody to help him. He was curious and he was a believer of sorts, right? This is something we have to understand. Conversion usually, if not always, begins with curiosity. We become curious and we begin to discover that there is more to know and then we begin to really want to learn more. This is how conversion begins. And it usually begins with a question. The reason why this is important is that we're almost done with this series. Two more weeks. The series after that is a series in John called Beloved. And we are going to be in John until Easter. On Easter weekend, we want to baptize everybody that wants to be baptized. And so we're going to ask you that as you study the book of John, you become available to God and available to people who are curious so that you can help shepherd people towards baptism. That can happen on Easter weekend when we celebrate with four different services, or five, Friday night, three on Saturday, and then Sunday morning, uh, uh, a Sunday morning, like sunrise service early in the morning. And we want to baptize people in every single one of those because we want to be available to the work of God. Evangelism does not happen because we have pastors at the church. Evangelism happens because you are willing to lead someone to the cross through their curiosity. And if you're not committed to that, then we won't have that. And the kingdom of God doesn't expand as quickly. But when you decide that you will be available and open to God, like like Philip was, all of a sudden the kingdom of God grows. I got to keep going because there's a lot more here. Okay. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk beside the carriage, right? This is context. The Ethiopian's reading out loud. The carriage is moving relatively slowly. So Philip, and I love that it says this, ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading, right? This was the opening, a chance to explain the book of Isaiah and the context of Jesus. Now, there's something important about this. We look at the Old Testament, we look at Isaiah, and we say, well, yeah, of course, Jesus is all over that book. But that's because we've had 2,000 years to get comfortable with the idea that Jesus is all over that book. This is first century, friends. This Ethiopian doesn't know, and he's reading and he's just like, what is going on here? I, I, remember, I remember being about 11 or 12 years old at a Thai restaurant in Carmel, California. My dad and I, dad, I was eating with my dad. I, my mom may have been there. Um, a lot of theologians around, because um, my dad hung out with theologians. Smutsman Royan, who who is a phenomenal preacher, friend of my dad's, had this, this beautiful South African low voice. And he said, we don't look at the Old Testament like other people look at the Old Testament. We only look at the Old Testament through, and he he put his fork up, and he said, we only look at the Old Testament through the cross. And I remember that image in my head. We don't just go to the Old Testament for history. We don't just go to the Old Testament for the narrative of the Jewish people. We go to the Old Testament to chase Jesus. And because we're looking through the cross, we see Jesus everywhere. So, so, right? He says, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up to the carriage and sit with him. And this, by the way, is again important, especially in Lukean writing. So Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts, also written by Luke. It's really important because Luke always kind of leaned into the idea that you need somebody to help you understand the scriptures. You need a guide. You need a Sherpa, if you will. Someone to shepherd you is important. So I'll ask this question for you. Who do you have in your life that helps you understand the Scriptures from a Jesus perspective? Who is it that helps satiate your curiosity about what God is doing and how God is working and how God is revealed in Scripture? We all need somebody to do that. And in our lives, sometimes we will be the person who needs someone and other times we will be the person who guides other people. And that's a blessing to be either one of those people. But what we have here is a divine appointment. God set this up, right? And, and in our lives, in the lives of the ability, in the lives that we live with the ability to share the gospel with people, sometimes God sets up these divine appointments where you're in the right place at the right time and the person is there and they ask you a question and it's the right question, and you're, you have the right answer because God has given you that right answer, or you've lived a life that has given you that right answer. And I'll tell you what: you will see a sacred echo flowing throughout your life. You'll you'll do something. You'll 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 read in the series guide some text that we're looking at in John, and you'll just you'll just have it in your head, and you'll be like, oh, that's really interesting. Four hundred words a day. You oh, that's really interesting. And then somebody will ask you a question that will relate directly to that, and that's how God uses a divine appointment. It'll be something that you just studied, something that you just heard, something that you were just talking to somebody else about that you now know and it's embedded in your heart and the person asks you specifically that. That's the Holy Spirit working amongst us. And when that happens, you need to take a moment and realize I couldn't have set this up. Only God could. But there's another thing that's really important about this story that we need to know. And it's something that you can just notice. Did you notice that Philip really didn't seem to care about his race at all? He just saw this man who was interested and was needing some guidance. Remember, this is early, before the movement towards the Gentiles that Paul pushes in the latter part of Acts. Philip wasn't put up, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't bothered by someone of another race. And as you know, Jews had a tendency to not want to talk to people from other races. But he didn't seem to have a problem with this. And I think it's because he bought what Jesus had been teaching, that all of us are brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want you, if you take nothing else from today, I want you to take this home with you. In Christ, there is no Jew, there is no Gentile, there's no man, there's no woman, there's no slave, there's no free. We are all under the grace of God, and that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. And because of that, we have to be generous with the gospel and we have to be generous with love. And we have to be careful not to allow our biases not to let us share or make us think that we somehow have the corner of the market on who God is. And by the way, I mentioned last week, you know, Jesus clearly wasn't Caucasian, right? The reason, the reason why we do stuff like that, I was thinking about it this week. The reason why we have those depictions and that sort of thing is because that history comes through the Western church. But it's also because we have this incredible desire for Jesus to be part of our story. And so culturally, we have, we have taken him from his context and put him into a context that we understand more clearly, right? I, I don't know that that's nefarious, but I do know that with all the wealth of information we have now, it's better for us to get back to a, a greater contextual understanding of who Jesus really was, what, what he came from, what his culture was, what his history was, and then what happened with the Christian church early on. I think that's really important for us. Rather than, you know, culturally appropriating Jesus to be like me, what I don't need is Jesus to be like me, I've learned. What I need is Jesus to be like God. And I don't care what he looks like. I don't care what culture he came from. Because I know that he doesn't care about that for me. He just knows that I'm his child. And that means that I have to know that every single person that accepts Christ is a brother and a sister. And if I cannot believe that, if I think Jesus is for me and not you, if the, the understanding or the label I have as Christian leads me to racism or nationalism or something that is less than of God, no, you are not a Christian in the biblical tradition. You may be a, a Christian in the American tradition or the European tradition or some other tradition, but you are not a biblical Christian because a biblical Christian understands that we're all brothers and sisters. And there's no choice about that. There's no choice about that. I'll continue on. The passage of Scripture he had been reading was this. So he's reading from the Isaiah scroll now. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And we know this. We love this text, right? And as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch... Ask a simple question. Tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? If you're somebody who wants to share the gospel, this is a home run question. He said, Is this who's who's he talking about? Is it him or and you're like, get a snack? <laughs> I got some things to say, right? So, and I love what Philip does. Beginning with the same scripture, right? He didn't, he didn't go somewhere else in scripture. He, didn't, he just started talking about that same scripture. Philip told him the good news about Jesus. That was a catalyst, one question. And the gospel's revealed. So we ask ourselves, right? What questions have people asked you that might open a gospel door? And again, During that John series, you're going to see amazing things happen. I really believe that if you're open to it and you're available to it. As they rode along, they came to some water and the eunuch asked, and again, I love the way the eunuch asked this. He says, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He's not really asking permission. Like, would it be okay if I get baptized? Because he's already a believer. He's in. He's like, let's do it. Let's baptize. Let's make it happen, right? And I know that, I know that, you know, we come from a particular tradition. Where we're like, well, you don't really know enough to be baptized. Um, I get that. It is important that you understand kind of the community that you're getting into, right? Like, it would be weird if you walked into this church never meeting anybody and then were a member of this church the next day and then went and had to eat veggie dogs with somebody. Right, just the cultural explanation of that would be like, what am I getting myself into? You have meat analogs? Is there digital meat? How does that work? Um, but, but I also understand that there is one thing that you're supposed to know, and that's Jesus, him crucified, him resurrected. See, what the Ethiopian knew is that he was accepted through his acceptance of Jesus That's what it took to be part of the community. That's what it took to be a believer. And so he says, why wait? This baptism solidified his belief and he clearly carried it back to his people, right? Because we know that 1,600 years later, a Portuguese writer is still writing about them. Those people had an impact on African Christianity for the next, like, 1600 years. And the Ethiopian church may have influenced early Islam as well, because scholars have cited that many of the early traditions that seem somewhat Jewish would have been taken up by the Ethiopian church early on and then transferred to the new religion of Islam as it encountered Ethiopian Christianity in its particularity. Also, because it was cut off, many practices are still happening today. So then he ordered the carriage to stop and they went down to the water and Philip baptized him. They did it. They didn't wait. He didn't know everything, but he knew Jesus. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again but he went away rejoicing. Now, I think this is the hard part for some people, right? We don't have a lot of stories of Jesus just snatching somebody away. And so that's why, you know, there's rational scholars who are like, well, maybe that, maybe that wasn't it. But I don't know, if God can create the universe, it feels like he can move someone, you know, get him out of the water quicker, I think. Even though Philip was snatched away, the eunuch rejoiced because he knew that he would never walk alone again. He would never have to read the scriptures alone without the Holy Spirit. He knew that he was accepted in really powerful and important ways. He knew that life was different. And the impact that this man had, we saw a thousand years later, 1600 years later. A few things to think about in your life. First question I asked, I'll ask it again are you available? Are you available to follow the Holy Spirit, to walk by the carriage, to engage? And are you available to everyone who is curious, regardless of your bias, regardless of where you come from, knowing that this person is a brother and sister in Christ, even if they haven't met him yet, and they need to, because you're able to give him the op- them the opportunity to know him. But then, I also wonder if... We've got to be willing to see the butterfly effect, right? That, That the difference you planting a seed in someone can make in the world. I don't think Philip really thought that he was establishing the Christian church in Ethiopia. And sure, there's probably a lot of other things that happened as well as that church was developed, but this one can't be denied. It's in Scripture. I don't think Philip was like, well, that's it. That dude, he's going to make it all happen. You don't know. You don't know what the person is going to do with the gospel that you're able to give them. But you don't want to know what happens if you don't. We stop the kingdom of God by being unavailable. We forward the kingdom of God by just saying, here I am, Lord, send me. The Ethiopian, after all of this, Philip is snatched away, as the scriptures say, and it says he went on his way rejoicing back to Ethiopia. And he was rejoicing because he knew that he would never have to walk alone again. That's the joy we get to give people when we share the gospel with them. And sometimes in our life, we will be the Ethiopian, reading scripture we don't understand, desperately in need of somebody to explain it to us. But other times, we will be the ones who have to explain it to other people. So my admonition to you today is simply this, be available to how God is going to use you and make sure that you countenance everyone that you meet, a brother and sister in Christ. Let's bow our heads. God of grace, God of mercy, God of hope, I just want to thank you for giving us yourself through your life, your death, your resurrection. Lord, we have good news, overwhelmingly good news to send all who have conversations with us away rejoicing because of what they know about you. So, Lord, make the sacred echo loud in our lives. Teach us what we need to know for when we need to know it and let us give it. And Lord, let us never deny the gospel to someone because they don't look like me or they don't act like me or they speak a different language or look different. Lord, never let that be something that stops us from creating a family that is huge in you. pray this in your holy name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Stand and worship one more time.